You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For. People who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is John Terlato. I think consumers are more knowledgeable today than they've ever been. And so the question is, how do we put brands in front of them or present them with brands that represent something interesting, something different, something new, something comfortable, given the moment that they're in? John Terlato was born into a wine family just as the American wine landscape was taking shape. His father, Tony Terlato, was a giant in the wine industry, a visionary who built and shaped the Terlato Wine Group into the company that it is today. John initially went to law school, but soon found himself back in the family business. And today we are in for a real treat as we head to a legendary Chicago restaurant, La Scarola, located on Grand Avenue. It is here that we have a truly fabulous meal and hear the incredible story of how John and his family shaped the wine business forever. Please enjoy my interview today with John Terlato. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking me to this Chicago iconic institution of La Scarola. Thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's my pleasure. And my father shared this place with so many people for so many years, and I have such fond memories. And I figured it would be a great idea to continue to share uh, not only the food and the place, but the friendship 
uh, that my dad had with Joey and the great memories that I have of this place. It's just, it, it just warms my heart. You know, you could have picked anywhere, right? You, I could you have. live here, right? This is yes. this is your hometown. So really, you could have picked any any restaurant, and you picked La Scarola. I did. That's special. It is. It's it, it's in my heart, right? Because I remember having, you know, dinners here with my dad. It just and my brother and our family and business friends and. It, it, it's a place that warms my heart for a lot of reasons. Family is important to you. 100%. Yeah. There's pictures of Tony Trilato on the wall here. I just saw them. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say that I was too young to have my picture taken and put on the wall, but I'd rather have my father's because he was much more handsome than I was than I am. John picked La Scarola because it was a favorite of his father's. Tony Trilato loved the spot and loved the energy and people who dined here. When you come here, it's easy to see why. Owner Joe Mondelli is a Chicago institution. He knows everybody, and he treats everyone like family. I treat people good. Mm-hmm. I see people come in, hey, how you doing? Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time and all that. I mean, I mean, you got to know the people, too. Well, Joey, you got pictures with Faye Dunaway. You got Frank Sinatra on the wall. You got mayor after mayor. I mean, I got, really, yeah, this is a who's who. Yeah, all the mayors. I was sitting with the mayor over there uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. How you doing, Joe? You okay? You want me to do anything? No, I'm okay. I says, you know. You could be doing a million other things than being here, but clearly this restaurant business is in your blood. Hey, I've been doing it for so long, I can't get away from it. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. No, I mean, I... <laughs> people come to see you. They do. A lot of people come yeah. to see me. I know for a yeah. long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have a favorite dish on the menu? My favorite dish, I, I, I like, you know, linguine with clam sauce, mm-hmm. uh, I like uh, real marsala, you know, chicken cacciatore. I like, you know, I like pasta. I was brought up on pasta. Right but here, I, pasta, right I, could eat, I could eat pasta every day. Pasta with this, pasta with that, pasta with that. I could eat every day. One of the things that was just so, so much fun about coming here, we never ordered. We would just say, hey, just make whatever you want, Joey. Whatever, whatever comes to mind. And he'd have fresh ingredients in the back and he'd make something different something new sometimes i would return back to maybe a dish that i probably one of the best field shops in the city right and i i I say that you know with humility on on his behalf on joe's behalf but we never ordered you know i just asked joey you know what makes this place so successful because it is packed and he said you know it's the food of course it's the food but we know that it's not just the food right uh at a time in our country where service is declining where people need connection more than ever wow is a place like this a gem absolutely 100 percent. it's heart right so and i could be wrong here i'm not a restaurateur so but i do believe that maybe we're a little bit perceptive right so I think people return to restaurants because of how they feel when they're there. Mm. Certainly the food is part of it, the service is part of it, the location is part of it. Those are all parts and pieces of the calculus. But how they feel, I think, is what is the number one driver of whether or not they come back and how often. And I know how I feel about this place. And when you said, pick a place, I thought about what's, where's one of the places that just warms my heart, yeah. right? And so I really do believe it's around how how a person feels. Yes. And and Joey and his team just make people feel at home when they're here. It's so interesting that you said that because they once asked the great James Beard, you know, where is his favorite restaurant? And he said, you know, it's your favorite place too. 
And he said, what do you mean? He said, it's the place that makes you feel like home. That's mm -hmm. your favorite place. Yeah. You know, and it really speaks to what you just said. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. It was an instinctual choice, by the way. Because <laughs> there were so, there's so many places where I feel comfortable. I feel yeah. at home. I feel warmth. The, the owners have, you know, hearts the size of Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. This just was the one that popped to mind. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I am really fascinated to hear your journey um, into wine because you went to law school. Right. You and, and I'm wondering when I read that you went to law school, I was wondering at that moment, did you think you would venture off and do something different from wine? Or did you always have in the back of your head that you would go to law school and then come back into the family business? It's a great question. I didn't have any intention at the time or an idea of being in the family business. I had some thoughts about doing other things. My father was very clever, very nuanced about this. He never pushed my brother or myself to be in the family business. He, he hoped that it would be our choice. Mm -hmm. He wanted us to own that choice as opposed to feel as if we were pushed into the business or forced into the business or expected to come into the business. I, I would argue that it happened very naturally. Mm -hmm. So he And he never pushed. And I went to law school and worked outside of the business. Which is rare. I mean, if you own a great family business, a lot of fathers across history have said, you better be in this business, right? It does happen that way often. Yeah. And interestingly enough, in hindsight, I can now say that that suited me well. It suited our entire family well. All of our family members have worked outside the business mm -hmm. and then come maybe come back to the family business if they choose to. Now, I understand that that's actually a rule. So if a family member does want to work, they have to first at least get their feet wet doing something in another field. Is that true? That is true. And there, there's, it, it's with great purpose. Mm -hmm. the, the idea is that they, we or they work outside the family business for someone else, mm -hmm. doing something else, understanding how business works, how important relationships are, building relationships with other people, promoted to a management position, responsible for managing people, l learning how to solve problems for the business and for people and for team members. And as my nieces and nephews are perfect examples, they worked outside the business, they were promoted to management positions, they were responsible for managing people, they created success. It builds confidence for sure that they know that they possess those capabilities naturally. And then when those individuals maybe come to the conclusion that maybe they would like to be in the family business, they come with confidence, they come with experience, they come with knowledge, they come with a, a, a set of skills that will help them continue to be successful. So yes, it is formalized, if you, if you will. At the time, it, it, it was not. And in hindsight, when I think about law school, bringing things of value to a family business is, is important. Mm, bringing something unique and distinct. Maybe unique, maybe distinct. Yep. Certainly of value mm -hmm. in additional perspective. So yes. I, I think about it as a creative or as a parenthetical expression. Mm -hmm. And there's all these sets of parentheses that mm -hmm. the family members bring to the, to the table, bring to the party, bring to the business. This was a piece that I thought, now in hindsight, might be valuable. A different perspective, a new perspective, something unique. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing your winemaker at Chimney Rock in oh. Napa Valley, Elizabeth Viana, who was incredible. And She's hearing a joy. 
her trajectory into wine and her passion for the specifically for Cabernet, but for really that entire piece of land. And you know, I feel like she feels like a steward of the land, and she's really just an incredible interview. But what was interesting is that her passion for wine she can actually trace back to one single glass that kind of really changed her path. She was going to go to medical school. And you grew up with wine all the time. I'm wondering, did you love it when you were younger or where did you personally develop a love of wine? We were surrounded by great wine, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about my father who... Like on a Sunday dinner, would you be drinking great Italian wine? Of course, wine? yes, yes. yes. And, or French wine. I mean, mm -hmm. so... Uh, my father's entry in, in, into the wine business and his career was in his my grandfather, his father's retail store in Chicago at a time when the majority of the wine that was being sold is, was ch Sherry Port and Muscatel, 39 cents a gallon. Mm -hmm. and, and this little store on Clark and Hollywood mm -hmm. was an oasis. Mm -hmm. They had the best wines of the world in that store, mm -hmm. the most expensive a bottle at the time was $4.98 a bottle. Wow. And it was Chateau Petrus. Wow. Okay, so think about that. Yeah. Now, remember, or recall maybe, that one of the most expensive American cars at the time might have been $600, right? So everything's relative. Yes. So my father was passionate about, learned about wines, brought that passion home. So my brother and I were surrounded by wine and wine people. Mm -hmm individuals in, in the wine industry. So back to the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was this relatively small group of individuals who were bringing fine wine to the United States. And our father knew them, fell in with them, was friends with them. And so when I say we were surrounded by wine, he, he would bring these individuals to our home for dinner. We, My brother and I, at the time, didn't really know who they were. <laughs> Uh, relative to now knowing who they were, Baron Philippe de Rothschild, mm -hmm. Baroness Philippine, Alexander Lursalus from Ekem, Christian Muix, Frank Schoonmaker, Robert Mondavi, Alexis Lachine. Wow. Th these were people that were in our home for dinner, and my brother and I had nicknames for the individuals because they were all pretty unique characters. Characters, they all had yes. Very interesting personalities. They were fascinating human beings. And now, as I look back, and what an incredible privilege to have known them and, and to have had spent time with them we were we were young at the time but then as we grew older and we continued to interact with them in, in our office and and realized the impact that they had on the on the wine industry and the quality of the wines that they were making mm -hmm. it was it was a privilege what a unique way to grow up what a unique way to learn about wine because it's not like you're just sampling great wine you're hearing from the people who are directly yes. connected to the wine and who have such interesting stories to tell. Interesting personalities, yes. interesting human beings. Oh this my is, gosh, I know, I, isn't that? This pasta fajol. Wow. So, oh, it, this it, is divine. In the world of comfort food, this is this about is as divine. comfortable as comfortable gets. This is delicious. Very delicious. Um, I, I almost wish I would have been a little bit older. Right. Um, because they were. They were provocative. They were forward-thinking. They were visionaries. They, they could see what the what the wine industry in the United States could look like right. in the future. They could see where the consumer was headed, and yes. which allowed them to get ahead of the consumer. Um, I remember my father once had some idea about some, a wine or a category that we should be participating in, and 
somebody suggested that there was no data that would su support his view and he said well of course there's no data that supports the view we're ahead of them hmm. it's coming it's coming it's heading towards us well that's the definition of a visionary isn't it Indeed. that they can see around Indeed. the corner they can right? see what's coming absolutely and so he 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 sprinkled that gene on my brother and I, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 it's it's percolated, and it's to have some foresight around what's happening next. And isn't there something to be said for being around people of passion, people who care deeply about what they're saying and why they're saying it? And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the types of people that were around your dinner table on a very frequent time are those people, and that there's something very compelling as a kid being around that as a kid and as an adult mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. passion and knowledge is infectious when we're around people who are passionate and they are good at what they do and they know their business or they know the facts in a particular space it's fascinating and it's infectious mm. so people who are passionate and knowledgeable and committed to something being with them is 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 infectious We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Grilling season is here. 
and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. I see glasses uh, coming to the table. What are we drinking right now? Ooh, the Terlato Pinot Grigio. Imagine that. Smooth. Now, Tony is credited with bringing Pinot Grigio to this country, right? And uh, specifically this type of Pinot Grigio. Please tell me what we're drinking. So he's often credited with being the father of Pinot Grigio. He identified the varietal as a category that the American consumer might actually be interested in. The category at the time was almost non-existent. Brought a uh, Pinot Grigio that was not very well known to the United States. Became well known under his guidance and then my brother after him. And then we parted company with that family and that, that company. And this was my brother's project. He, he sat with my dad, said, we now have an opportunity to put Pinot Grigio with our name on it, on the table of the American consumer. And, and he, he shared his views around what he thought we might do as a family. My father was in, supportive, as, as was I. And Bill, Bill did this single-handedly, really. Went out, found the vineyards, identified the area. It, we almost wanted it to be the antithesis of the brand that we had built. Mm. We, didn't, we weren't looking to copy that brand. We were actually looking to do something that was actually diametrically opposed in so many ways. Well, I want to make a toast, if you don't oh, mind. Please. I'm going to make a toast to... First of all, you for bringing me to this fabulous restaurant, La Scarola, to Tony and to Bill. And I want to hear, as we drink this Pinot Grigio, what makes this glass different than the average glass of Pinot Grigio that the consumer has? That's a great question. So first, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for... Salud. Chin chin. Thank you. We drink to to Tony and to family and and to friends. That's a great toast. Oh, wow. That's great. Most consumers might think of Pinot Grigio as very light and very easy to drink and just, I won't call it a... Frothy? Can we say frothy? Something maybe... Quaffing wine, something cocktail wine. Right. We we know one thing. Wines, wines, we know, maybe we know more than one thing. (laughs) Uh, We know a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Number one, the, the quality of the wine that's in a bottle is, is directly proportionate to the quality of the land and the vineyards that one might own. Okay. Okay. So the wine that I had spoken of previously, the fruit was uh, sourced by, from a bunch of different vineyards, some of which might have been owned by the families, much of which was not. And so Bill decided, determined, suggested that for our Pinot Grigio, we should own the vineyards and that it should be in the area where the finest Pinot Grigio grapes are grown because of the soil composition, the climate conditions, and that is uh, Friuli Colle Orientale. Some of the greatest Pinot Grigios in the world come from that area. Mm-hmm. What makes them unique is, in fact, the soil composition, the vineyards, and, and, and the, the, the weather, the, the, the climate. So can you create Pinot Grigio in this country? Because I know this comes from northern Italy, correct? Mm-hmm. 
So could you replicate that in a section of California, or is that gets to the to the soil and the conditions that you're talking about? Uh, Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris grapes can absolutely be grown in California, Oregon. Could you copy? I would say very difficult to do because mm-hmm. the, the wines are unique representations of the soil and the microclimate. Got it. Right? So the so, answer is not really. So the answer is you could come close, close. I suppose. If one starts with mediocre quality fruit, it's very difficult to make high quality wine. Sure, that makes sense. If one starts with super high quality fruit, but doesn't possess the heart and the skills to make great wine, then it's maybe you don't end up with great wine. I think it's a combination of the two, and Bill understood that. We knew that we wanted or would hope that the wines would be vinified in a way that would cause them to go well with food. Mm. Because for our family, the context of enjoying wine really always has been and probably always will be in the setting of food. How does it support a great meal? How does it support a great meal? Yeah. This wine has incredible complexity. The precision and the... And I don't want to get overly geeky around... Please. ...how wines taste. And generally speaking, I, I don't tell people what they taste. I don't make, you know, suggestions about, you know, th- this is a blue horse. Right. I let them come to their own conclusions around what they taste, and the wine should really speak for itself. And if the wine is a true representation of the place, mm-hmm. it speaks for itself, and it really doesn't require a lot of explanation. I would argue that delicious does not require an explanation. <laughs> it either is or it it's isn't. It's an exclamation. You you know it or you don't. You're talking about the terroir of each individual wine and all that makes that wine unique and special. So I kind of want to get back to your own personal terroir of John Terlato, and I really want to talk about those first couple of years where you have started to work at the family business. And I wanted to hear from you, A, what was great about working at the family business, and B, what might have been challenging. Mm. Let's see if I can answer the question. So what was great was being in the same building with my family every day, being with a, an incredible team of people that has been had been assembled by my father and my brother mm-hmm. right? cuz now not only is it the family members but it's the rest of this team in a business that is at the time was was growing and was exciting it was exploding mm-hmm. so family incredibly talented group of people all you know kind of growing in the same direction at the same time and so those were all of the great things and and frankly we we were selling wonderful products that people enjoy and if they really enjoy them they bring a smile to your face mm-hmm. right so this is when and no, no offense to people who, who produce and sell kitty litter but I, 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 I think that it's much more interesting sitting here talking about about wine and about food and about friends and the vignettes of life and so we, we were in a great industry that was that was and continues to be a growing industry uh, with a great group of people and our family, it, it, it was it was a joy, really, truly. Wine is so dynamic that you could literally study it and learn about it your entire life and still nev- never know enough, right? You could never you're, know enough. You could, you're always learning. I mean, till the very last day of your life, you could still be learning about 100%. Wine. Yeah, 100%. that's exciting. Something new to learn every single day. I enjoy being around people who have intellectual curiosity. They're, they're actually interested in knowing something new, something different, trying to understand other people's perspectives. I, I think in, um, in winemaking, one of the things that I think about is how do we in, make sure that we install in our thinking 20% doubt? 
So if we think that we ha- that we understand it at 100%, we're, we're, that's that's the moment where things start going backwards. Yes. Because you never know at 100%. Right. And if we think that we only know it at like 50%, then maybe, maybe you don't understand your craft as well as you should if you want to be successful mm-hmm. in that craft. But if there's 20% doubt, it, it urges you forward to innovation to learn and more. learn more yes. and to do something different right. and trials. One of right. the things that we do at the wineries are trials. We're trying to understand how do we, how could we improve this? How could we do this a little bit differently? So you asked about the challenges. I would... And maybe there wasn't any, but I'm just no, thinking... No, there are always... When in your first couple of years of any career, is uh, there's you always learn so much because you don't know anything, right? You know, no matter where you are, where you're starting out, those first few years are so crucial. So the the challenges were probably self-inflicted. I was in a team of people that have been had been doing this for years. My father, my brother, John Cornettis, the group, the group John Scribner, the people that were part of our organization. That these were professionals. These are right. people that had been doing this, and they were really good at it, mm-hmm. right? And so now here I am as a arguably a novice in a, in a business full of people who are pretty darn talented and intelligent. And so the 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 challenge was how do I add value? What is it that I could bring to this incredibly talented group of people that would would add value to the company, to the organization, to the future, to the family? So that that would have, in my mind, that was my my challenge. It was the fear of failure, the desire to add value in this incredibly talented group of people coming into this with maybe knowledge and intelligence. But there has to be more than that. And what I've learned is it takes a lifetime. To, to learn and take I, I'm still learning today you're still learning today and give the people who are listening to this podcast a sense of how do you describe your job right now like what is what is your day-to-day and what does your what's your job title and what do you enjoy most about your current position so if I think about how I'm spending the majority of my time today I'm spending time on our burgundy portfolio we have a very exciting portfolio of burgundies uh, spending my time at our, our winery in Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. uh, Sanford, because of my passion and curiosity around Burgundy, which is Chardonnay and Pinot, Pinot Noir. Noir. Yeah. Um, and my interest in Burgundy was fostered and supported by my father and my brother. When we bought Sanford, they said, go to Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing this for a thousand years. Certainly there's something. they got to know something. They might know <laughs> that we could... Uh, apply to right. our vineyards in California. Yeah. Some of it may apply, some of it may not. But first things first, why don't you go and learn what they're doing? Mm-hmm. So went to Burgundy uh, with another dear friend who's a winemaker from Australia, started to taste the wines in Burgundy, started to meet the people in Burgundy, actually started to import some of these Burgundian domains, which was really not the purpose. Mm-hmm. But now today we have 22 domains in our portfolio. So would you say Sanford and the Sanford wine has really become your baby? Uh, listen, it's a family business, right? right. So it, it's something that I'm very, very much attached to. Right. But you said like Bill was really responsible for Pinot Grigio and talking through it and talking with your dad. And I'm just wondering if Sanford and the Sanford Pinot and the Sanford Chardonnay is really something you've spearheaded. I spend an awful lot of time there, but I, I would prefer not to take credit for anything. Okay. Right. Um, I, I would give credit to all the people that I'm surrounded with. I remember a conversation that I was having with uh, with my dad. We were talking about winemakers and the, the possibilities at Samford. And he said, 
find yourself a winemaker who has greatness in, our, in his or her heart. Mm. What an incredible insight, peeling it all the way back to, does that person have greatness in their heart? Mm. Because I know how you feel about Sanford, and I know what, how you feel about the possibilities and the potential there. And so the person who's standing next to you, if they possess greatness in their heart, that together with what how you feel about the place could be incredibly powerful. Right, because it doesn't matter how you envision what Sanford could be. If the person who's actually responsible for bringing all the grapes together and looking at the big picture doesn't have that same vision, or have the skills and the and 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 the heart uh, to make it to make it happen, a bottle of Sanford just magically shows up in front of us. What a that's what, what an incredible that's what idea. makes Luscarola Luscarola. Exactly right. I so. <laughs> Highly perceptive. Yes, there's a magician right? in the background. Yes, the magician in the background. So, you know, would I call it my baby? Look, at it, it's a fam. It's a family-owned business. It's a family-owned winery. We, the family, together with Trey Fletcher, the winemaker at Sanford, have identified the potential. And I would just say, I, I had an idea in my head around the potential of the place, mm-hmm. and then my questions were around how do we assemble a team that sees it the same way possesses the heart and the skills to activate that and highlight it and express it and then motivating them or leading them or supporting the vision of what Sanford could be mm-hmm. right and we still we've we've made some some great progress in the last two or three years and, and there's more to come Sanford is is it, I, I say it's just the beginning so is it my baby? It's something I'm certainly passionate about. Is there a type of wine that you're drawn to? Like if, you know, and this is a really hard question, but I'm really it hoping for some really candidness. Is. So that on a Friday night when no one's watching and you just want to pour yourself a delicious glass of wine, right? We all know that feeling. And, you know, what do you choose? Is it a Pinot? Is it a Cab? And do you have a go-to that you're willing to share? So I'm not going to dodge the question entirely. Uh-oh. <laughs> But somewhat. <laughs> it depends on my mood. There's times when the, when I this Torlato Pinot Grigio, it's like I'm walking through the door and that's what I'm thinking. Right. And then and there's it's a, summer and, you know, it, and it, it's, it's going to pair well with this. Yes, I'm exactly. going to sit outside with my wife right. and we're going to catch up on right. a Friday after a long week. Right. right? And so it, might, it could be Torlato Pinot Grigio. It could be a wine from Sanford. It could be a Burgundy. It could be Il Pagione Brunello. It could be... It could be just about anything, yes. right? I knew, that, f- I knew that was a loaded question it could that be, would result in no, no could, real answer. It could be an old Bordeaux <laughs> that my father had put in the cellar. It, mm. it, not only does it depend on my mood, but it also depends on who's sitting with me. Yes, the audience. Two other couples or another couple that, yes. you know, that are super, super knowledgeable about wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that they have a predisposition to... Burgundy, we might drink Burgundy. If they have a predisposition to Brunello, we'll drink a Brunello. Mm-hmm. And so it... It really depends on the mood and the people. When you think back to your legendary father and all that he brought to the table, so to speak, not only with his knowledge of wine, his passion, his commitment to family, his vision for the company, what do you think you have taken from who he was, not only professionally but personally? Hmm. Well, I hope I took all the good things. (laughs) Uh, A passion for wine, Mm -hmm. a passion for people, Mm -hmm. My father was a great people person. He had he had a wonderful way about him with, with people. He was very perceptive. I like to believe that I possess a modicum of, of the ability to make people comfortable mm. um, around food and around wine and mm-hmm. 
laughing and, and enjoying life and provocative conversation, art, architecture, music, whatever it might happen to be. He was a renaissance man. He really was. Mm-hmm. He had a fair amount of talent in a lot of categories that he shared with, with my brother and myself and with our entire family. Mm. So what did I pick up? I didn't pick up his good looks. He was much more <laughs> handsome. When I see pictures of him as a young man, uh, he was certainly far more handsome. Tenacity, persistence, being warm with people, being right with people. Mm. You know, you shook, you shook my father's hand. Integrity. That was it. Yeah. I mean, you, you could go to the bank on that. He was yeah. really very much old school in that way, and I, I believe in that. I believe in in integrity and honesty and tenacity and persistence and passion and. I, I don't know if I picked them up. Maybe maybe they wore off on, mm-hmm. on me and they wore off on my brother and they wore off on his grandchildren and those who were in his circle of influence. You, you knew what you got with, with my dad. So I, I'm not sure if I possess those things. I'd like to believe that I do. Uh, but he was certainly a great role model in, in that way. I love that he used to take chefs and bring them in and pair them with wine, almost like a teacher explaining how wine can go with food what he used to do at the clark street store and really introduce the connection if they didn't get it themselves it's almost like he was going to show them how wine paired with food he was always willing to share no question he would he was always willing to share his opinion (laughs) and he 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 sometimes had a, a very strong opinion about something i remember we were we were in a restaurant, and he really did enjoy this whole process of pairing food and wine. And one of the things that he was fond of, of saying was, you can adjust your food, but I can't adjust my wine. Mm. Okay, the wine's the wine. It's made. It's done. Right. We could put an ice cube in the glass, I suppose, but, but we can't really change it. it. Fundamentally, it is what it is. But you could theoretically adjust the food like if you right. really wanted to, to create harmony. Well, that's interesting because he was asking the chefs to really think and be more thoughtful about how they prepared the food so it went with the wine. Right. Right. And so it re- requires, I-, I would argue that it required required a huge amount of self-confidence on the part of the chef mm-hmm. to say, okay, I've, I've now tasted this and I, I see what he means. Now I reimagine the dish based on the wine. And maybe I now yeah. need to do something a little bit different in order to accommodate and have this be... A really great, a great pairing, right? Yes. And so I remember one of we were at a test lunch for the Renaissance Club, and the chef at a, a restaurant was making all these very idiosyncratic dishes, very creative, but they really had no connectivity to the food. Oh, thank you! Sausage and peppers have just arrived at the table. Ooh, delicious! That looks yeah, delicious. That's great. And so my father said, "You know, these are all really." very interesting dishes and I could see it coming right like a mile away they're really interesting dishes and they're very unique and they're very forward thinking he said is it possible that through the course of the evening you you might be able to do a really traditional Italian dish that we could pair with this particular wine and and the chef said so like what are you thinking (laughs) and he said well how about I don't know Osobuco and the chef said, oh, my God, who would do Osobuco? You can find Osobuco anywhere. Mm. And my father said, you're right. You know, you, you, you absolutely can find Osobuco in a lot of places. But he said, why don't you make me the best Osobuco I've ever tasted? Mm. And the mm. chef was like, he realized mm. 
Right. He'd kind of thrown down the gauntlet. Right. And he said, okay, I, I will do that. Right. And yeah. you won't have to pair it between now and the dinner. I will pair it. I have the wine. And I will make an Oso Buco that you'll never forget. Because the classics done really, really well is are the best. Unforgettable. Yeah. Right? It right. stays with you. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was an idea. There was an example mm-hmm. of him expressing his opinion in a very thoughtful way and suggesting maybe we could do something a little bit different. But even though it was a dish that might be considered to be, you know, common or mainstream, right. let's make one that when our guests taste it, They've they'll sit back in their right. chair and say, this is the best Osobuco I've ever tasted. A I ver- love that. That was a, a very interesting provocation on his part. And, and I, it, it stayed with me. I never forgot that. Do you, how currently does the Trilato team mirror that in the sense like does your sales team are they also meeting with chefs and doing something similar in honor of tony or how is what is the modern take on what he used to do if that makes any sense whenever we're sharing i'm sorry i have a mouthful of sausage and peppers (laughs) um really delicious it is it's so good this is a very simple dish a classic a classic but executed brilliantly yes the sausage is amazing. The peppers are cooked perfectly. Mm-hmm. The spices are balanced. This is not your average bear. No, no, it is this not. Is, this it's is absolutely spectacular. Okay. Yeah. So just had to note that mm-hmm. for those of you who are listening. This is a really good dish of sausage and peppers. <laughs> um, the team understands that we have wines that we share with people. And they when when we're hosting events or lunches or dinners... There's a certain amount of attention that's paid to what we're eating and what we're drinking. And and I would argue that a pretty fair majority uh, of the team possesses knowledge around food and wine and, and would like to, sh- when we're showing our wines to customers, consumers, and everybody in between, we would like the wines to show well. And so there is some fundamental knowledge of food and wine and how they go together. Right. So I would say the team's pretty knowledgeable because they understand that a, a good choice, mm-hmm. a thoughtful choice, could be amazing. Right. And a not-so-thoughtful choice that's just random right. could either show the food in a way that is not very pleasant or could show the wine in a way that's not very pleasant. And now we've gone to all this trouble to make a bottle of Pinot Grigio when we paired it with something that makes the wine or the food taste a little bit off. And then our work is at some level diminished. Right, and I also does that answer does that answer your question? It, it does. You know, I it's just me looking at what I thought was really uh, groundbreaking for Tony to do at the time, mm-hmm. which I don't think many people were doing, which was bringing in chefs, showing them how the wine pairs with the food, and I'm wondering how often that actually happens today, and it still stands the test of time as a brilliant idea, not only to sell wine, but also to engage hospitality folks in the process and then help them to sell the wine on the floor so it's a it's really a great question you're making me think about this and i appreciate that so if if we're preparing a a meal for a group of people in a, a specific place and we know that we're presenting wines generally speaking we taste the wines and the food before the meal actually happens because otherwise it's a completely random event right right Right? Right. And in some instances, chef may not have enough time to taste the wine and the food together. They have this idea in their head around right. the pairing and may pre- 
you know, they're going to prepare the dish and they're going to serve the wine. And, and lo and behold, you, you may actually, there's a 25% chance that we're wrong, maybe even more. So then one thinks about how do we remove from the equation that random pairing. And the way that we've done it as a family for years is to taste the food and the wine beforehand mm-hmm. and say maybe a little bit more of this, maybe a little bit less of that. Maybe this just doesn't go well together. There's moments where I've tasted Pinot Grigio with a specific uh, preparation of shrimp. And in one version, it's amazing and incredible and like you can't believe how good it is. And another version, the, 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 the wine tastes fishy because of the shrimp preparation. And it doesn't mean that the dish isn't brilliant or beautiful. It's just that the combination of flavors lends itself to making the wine taste at some level fishy. It's random. Your father was credited about, we talked about his ability to see around corners and to be a visionary in the Mm -hmm. world of wine. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just wondering when you think about the current state of the hospitality industry and, and, and here we are in 2022, what do you see? You know, he envisioned a much more complex palette for Americans, and guess what? They have a more complex palate, right? He, his vision of what he thought could be true about wine has come to be. So where do you see it going from here on out? I think consumers are more knowledgeable today than they've ever been. I think they have a greater number of choices than they've ever had before, and that number of choices will continue to grow geometrically. Yes. I think providing those consumers with a range of products that appeal to them across a number of different categories is one of the greatest challenges. Yes. Because there's a greater number of choices, because they're more curious, because they're allowing themselves and wanting to be exposed to a lot of different things, one of our responsibilities is to be able to satisfy their needs as they work their way through those categories in search of something interesting, something different, something new, something comfortable. Right. But how do you do that, right? Well, like, so how do you how do you engage a consumer that has so many options that is more knowledgeable and how do you point to and amplify your your distinctiveness? So it depends on what they're looking for at the moment, right? Because some people are looking for authenticity, others might be looking for innovation. Mm. Some might be looking for a very, very strong price-value relationship. They'd like to know, kind of like the three bears, too high, too low, just right. Right. But they really want too low. Mm. That, that in my mind, is shows a great price-value relationship that they might think I would have paid more for this wine. Mm. So a great value, value. I suppose, is another right. way to say it. In- innovation, as I said, Thank is another so thing much. that they could potentially be looking for. It depends on their mood. Right. Sometimes they're looking for a new cocktail. Right. So you, there's some products that we're making with the Nonino family, an Amaro and an Aperitivo that are the Amaro has been around for a long, long time, mm-hmm. made by a mother and her four daughters. The hand of that family, the female hand, in 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 the process of making uh, that Amaro is is very gentle, very soft, very right. elegant. Yes. Right. It's not your typical. Italian Amaro, right? And then, uh, again, another project that Bill launched together with the Nonino family was their aperitivo, so it was an opportunity to create a new product that would appeal to an audience that is younger and innovative and curious and searching for new things, but also authenticity, because this family's been doing this for many years, right? Mm -hmm. So 
my view of the future is, you know, consumers are becoming more knowledgeable. They're interested in learning new things. They, at some level, are comfortable with authenticity. And the question is, how, how do we put brands in front of them or present them with brands that represent those things given the moment that they're in, right? right? So right. somebody goes into a bar and they say, I want something totally different. Or somebody goes into a restaurant and they're drinking or they're about to order a bottle of wine and they say, you know, why don't, I'd like something different tonight. I usually drink Cabernet or I usually drink Chardonnay. I'd like something completely different. You have a varietal or a wine that you happen to like that's different. And so the question is, are we presenting them with oppor- that, that those consumers with opportunities that satisfy their need at that particular moment? Mm-hmm. Again, it is kind of a random thing, right? Because right. a consumer may go into a restaurant and say, you know, I really just would like to drink a, ca- a, cal- a Napa Cab tonight. Mm-hmm. Or I'd really like to drink a Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully we're presenting products to them at that particular moment that are authentic and appeal to their their need and their sensibility at that particular moment. So Make what, sense? So what just arrived to the table is this absolute... Shrimp, shrimp money. It's mashed potato, arugula, and uh, shrimp. Oh, it's a mashed it's mashed potatoes. I didn't know if it was mashed polenta. Potatoes. It's mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes, arugula, and shrimp. Mashed potatoes, arugula, and shrimp. Very tasty. And it looks like it's uh, has a wine sauce on top. Yeah, well, Is you that? Know, you gotta put wine in there. Are you kidding? Without the wine, you don't make nothing. You cook everything with the wine. I cook everything. And it, with the it'll wine. be everything will be okay. <laughs> it so looks amazing. Here, wow! An, Cheers. Here's an example of a uh, a shrimp dish mm. that goes. Wow. Brilliantly with the Gelato Pinot Grigio. Oh, yeah. So I mean, shrimp, is, do you say Amani? Is that it? Shrimp Amani. Shrimp Amani. Yeah. Wow. This. Very tasty. The potatoes are very tasty. The yes. arugula on top of it. Well, yeah. Joey, tasty is an understatement. This mm. is absolutely delicious. Wow. Really good. Really good. And the arugula is sautéed. You know, do you feel like the younger consumer is as interested in quality wine as someone who is a little bit more mature and has a more developed palate. And what are you seeing as far as trends that, and I think you kind of alluded to the fact that you're looking at more of a different offering for sort of a younger consumer, or is do you have hope that they still might get the, the wine bug and really have a passion for a more quality wine? So, you know, learning about wine and being interested in wine is a journey. Right. And, and people start out on their journey at specific moments in their life, and then they have levels of curiosity around wanting to know more. There's an infinite number of choices in, in the wine and spirits in the beverage alcohol space, and I, I think it depends on their level of curiosity. Now, I, I, I do believe that sometimes there are consumers who, on, on their journey, they, they might reach a point where they have an incredible comfort level, and, and I call it the lazy boy effect, right? So they're like, hey, I found this wine that I really like, right. and I'm now going to sit in the lazy boy, and I'm going to pull the handle, and I'm going to sit back, and I just want to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really want to get out of the lazy boy. Right. I would prefer to stay right here and be super comfortable. And they may stay there for a short period of time, a medium period of time, or a longer period of time. And there may be a moment where they say, okay, I'm now comfortable with that. I've I'm satiated, and now I'd like to learn more. Right, but what are you finding as far as the trends? Like, what I think are, they want to learn more. They want to learn more about the, the quality wine? I think they want to learn more about wine in general, and they're trying to understand what makes wine different 
from one geography to another, from one varietal to another, from one price price point to another. The younger generation is really has an incredible amount of curiosity mm-hmm. around the distinctions between and amongst all these categories. Mm-hmm. Geography, varietal, price point, flavor profile, you name it. Label, packaging, they're, they're curious, they're, they're, they're interested. Mm-hmm. So I, I have great confidence right. in the younger generations. I'm old, so I, I'm not young. <laughs> I don't suppose to old. old-ish. You're Let's not put old. It that You're way. not old. I'm, but, I'm, but I think I'm, also like the distinction needs to be made that the wine that you carry is quality wine. So across it, all categories. Right. So in yes. the spectrum of wine, when people are, and the majority of people are looking for, I mean, saying value wine is is really uh, a compliment. I mean, most the average consumer might not be able to really know or understand the complexity of all the different flavor profiles. So I feel like the Terlata wine has always put quality at the top, and the price because of that reflects that. Our goal is always to create wines with a strong price-value relationship. Right? Again, the consumer tastes it and says, this is really delicious, and I feel like I paid the right price and I wasn't taken advantage of, right? But I have great confidence in generations below my generation that they do have this fundamental curiosity. It's kind of like a highway. There's all these on-ramps and off-ramps, right? They're entering in and they're exiting in all these different places, and they may be driving along the highway, and, and then they exit, and then they come back on, and then there's something else that they're trying, and they have this fundamental curiosity around wanting to try something new. Their friends, actually, mm-hmm. are also um, inspiring them to want to try something new. So they somebody goes to someone's house, the individual goes to a friend's house, and they bring a bottle of wine that they happen to be particularly fond of, and maybe the host is in a certain place around what they've tasted or what they like or what they think they want to drink or what they drink on a fairly regular basis. And then one of their friends says, you have to try this, this is really interesting. And now all of a sudden that their, their curiosity is, is, is peaked. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're saying, well, where did this come from and why is this different and why do you like this and how much did you pay for that? And what a great label. And boy, this is really something interesting. And now there's another brick put in the wall in, in in as they build their wall and they build their desire to learn more about wine. Wow, is this an angel hair pasta? Angel hair pasta. Wow, looks amazing. Yeah. What is the sauce, Joey? Uh, fresh tomato basil sauce. Oh. This was one of my dad's favorite dishes. If oh, I yeah, yeah, wait, I get some more marinara sauce. When you think about the arc of your career and kind of where you are, what's next for you? What's next for what you hope to bring to the company? And what are you most excited about? Gosh, in terms of my career, I have incredible aspirations for the style of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir that we're making at uh, Sanford. I'd love to be able to bring some level of provocation to the winemakers that are involved in our family business in general by just asking questions around farming and winemaking because it's they're topics that are, are are fascinating for me and winemakers are interested in the dialogue and provocation and curiosity to share whatever I've been fortunate enough to learn with the next generation right mm-hmm. so I feel as if it's important you know we we learn a lot in in life and then how how do you then share what you've learned with the next generation because otherwise it's lost right, right. you either you either put it in a book mm-hmm. uh, or you share it uh, verbally mm-hmm. or through experiences with the next generation. So that's important to you, to be able to really yes. dig deep into what you have learned over the course of 
your career and then being able to impart that to the next generation? Sure. Well, listen, let's let's think about wisdom in general, right? So wisdom in general is collected through life experiences. You can only have so many firsthand life experiences in your life. So you collect a certain amount of knowledge and experience and theoretically wisdom through your firsthand life experiences. And then you can also collect some knowledge and some experiences and wisdom through other people's life experiences. Maybe even reading reading a great piece of fiction where the author is actually weaving into the story their life lessons mm. and the things that they've learned over life. And now if you, I, I mean, I read books and I, I see and read a, a passage and I think, gosh, that's a life lesson. That's really interesting. And so now as we collect life lessons along the way, we might become maybe a little more knowledgeable, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more, I won't say intelligent, but a, a little bit more wise, right? So I, I feel that, and listen, my, my father was great at, at this. My brother's really good at it too taking what we've been fortunate to know and learn and sharing it with other people, it's a way of giving back. It's mm-hmm. a responsibility, right? So I, I, I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world and I'm not saying I know everything. I've learned a, a modicum of things in my life and I think it's important to share those with other people. Well, and, cheers. Cheers well, to you, John. This has been amazing. And thank you for taking me to the Chicago Institution. What a delicious meal. Thank oh, you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate having the opportunity. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at to Dine For TV and Facebook at To Dine For With Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.